Good morning. You're listening to Breakfast Bites, and I'm Felicia King. Today's show, we are going to be covering the topic of IT risk management, assessments, and the problems with assessments, and also the problems with integrated IT risk management, because this is all completely related. First, I want to start with some kind of baseline concepts on things, and a lot of what I try to cover on this show is coming from uh, interactions with clients and also interactions with other IT service providers and looking at the challenges that IT service providers face across the board as they are posting their concerns and problems out on many forums. So first, let's start with this problem of what is an IT assessment? Because this term is used in the most egregiously loose way to the point where if you don't really define your terms, it's less than helpful to say the least. So first let's start with what you probably think an assessment actually is. And I'm not going to say it's a completely wrong thing, but it's a contextually incomplete understanding of what an assessment is. So first, most people think of what an assessment is, is the type of thing that is typically used for marketing and sales by IT service providers. So that's, you know, somebody comes to your facility and they look at what's going on there and they may or may not run some software. It's very, very difficult for an IT service provider to be doing any sort of an unpaid assessment. So if they're doing anything on an unpaid basis for you, you have to understand that that is very high level. It's going to be very, very high level. There's no possible way that that's going to lead to you coming out of that meeting with them or that scope of work with anything that could even remotely be characterized as something that's going to lead to a budget for you. Um, and, that, and you have to be extremely aware of that. In order to get to a point where you have a budget, because this is what most organizations are looking for, first the IT service provider has to actually know you. And you and them together will have needed to work out what do you actually need? Because there most definitely is a baseline for the types of things that you must do in order to even be serviceable. And this is also a really important understanding uh, concept to be aware of. So you're, you're aware of this concept that there are certain things you have to do in order to be insurable. So you need to have cybersecurity insurance but you also need to do certain things in order to be insurable. And if you don't do those things, then you won't be insurable. There it is. Well, the vast majority of IT service providers not only require you to have cybersecurity insurance, but also they require you to meet certain baseline standards because when your organization does not meet those standards, then your organization is a liability to them. And frankly, it's probably not worth it, no matter how much money you're you're paying them. Because just like a cybersecurity incident is an out-of-business event for you, it's an out-of-business event for them. And it's reputational damage. Lawyers get involved. Cybersecurity insurance companies get involved. 
Everybody wastes enormous amounts of time. They might as well take the next year of their life and just light it on fire because it's going to consume at least that amount of time. Uh, it's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. So you need to do whatever it is that you possibly can do in order to mitigate the risk. Even a small organization easily is going to eat $50,000 worth of expense if they have a cybersecurity incident. And it isn't just a matter of saying, oh, well, I'm going to put $50,000 in a bank account and I'm going to put that in a savings account and I'm going to have that ready for when I need to use it. It just isn't that simple. Are you absolutely positively sure that that's the total dollar amount? And are you absolutely positively sure that you're going to be able to have access to all of the resources and personnel to be able to address the challenge that your organization faces in a period of time to get your systems back up and running. And you know, let's say you happen to be a firm that runs accounting systems and payroll for other companies. What happens if you can't run payroll for your customers? What happens if you can't run payroll for your employees? What is the adverse financial impact of that? So if you're not absolutely sure that under all circumstances, you can get your systems back up and running fully functional so you can run payroll for yourself and your clientele within a certain period of specified time, well, then you, know, you need to be doing whatever you should be doing in order to mitigate that risk proactively of that cybersecurity incident. Never, you, know, you need to make sure it's never going to happen. So um, this, this assessment topic is sometimes a cybersecurity insurance gaps assessment. Okay, so we call it the assessment that comes as, as a follow-on to the crack. The crack is the cybersecurity risk assessment questionnaire that the insurance company provides you. So that gaps assessment is a gap between where you are now and where you need to be if you're going to be able to say, yes, we are doing what we are supposed to be doing and we are compliant with the requirements of the cybersecurity insurance company. So keep in mind, again, that the IT services provider also has its own requirements and those things are going to be in contracts. And if you violate those things, you're not going to be supportable anymore. And then, I don't know, I guess you can support yourself or you can go find some IT service provider who doesn't care about those standards. And then I would really question whether or not they're qualified to service you. But hey, that's your decision, right? So that's one type of assessment is by your current IT service provider looking at the gaps between your existing infrastructure, your existing configurations, and where the insurance company needs you to be. And this assessment that somebody might do as part of a, a sales or a prospecting discovery process, even if they're an external third party and you're paying them like, let's say, $2,000 for an assessment, and they actually come on site and they run some software and they do some external scans and stuff, you got to realize that that's pretty dang limited. It is pretty darn limited in 
the scope of what that is even capable of finding. So I'm not saying that there's no value in that, but unless you happen to already be a cybersecurity expert, yeah, sometimes the reports that you're going to get are not that helpful. I would even characterize some of them as pretzel talk. I have seen some of these external scan reports, and it's just pretzel talk. It literally will say, well, there are these, you know, four things that we think are problems, but, well, they're not really very big problems, and, you know, they could legitimately actually be there. And there isn't enough detail to even understand what the supposed scan found. Uh, Alien Vault is a great example of that. It has a tendency to just create utter levels of pretzel talk in its reports. And uh, speaking on that topic, uh, there is a ton of assessment software that's out there that is horrifically limited in its scope. And that's also something you have to be aware of. You know, somebody could be running like Rapid Fire Network Detective. And unless the entire environment has been prepped for that software, you're probably not even going to get viable data out of it and then because it doesn't have any ability to have tunable thresholds for the inputs, it requires a massive amount of manual interpretation of the data that is outputted. And that data may, that things may actually be in alignment with the company policy, but network detective may look at it and go like, oh, well, we think it shouldn't be that way. And that's because it has no thresholding scoring capabilities, and you ultimately have to have a human being that's very, very, very intimately aware with the business requirements and that particular infrastructure environment in order to be able to appropriately analyze the outputs of such assessments. So a lot of times these assessments that are happening from an external party, um, they can be useful when it is a business value conversation, such as, well, you, you know, use your imagination. It's like, you know, how does this, how does this piece of technology work for you? What is their you know, response time? Um, can you get to naughty websites like porn.com and gambling.com? Do you have an information security policy? Uh, do you have an inventory of passwords. Are you using the password management system? Do you have uh, HR policies where the technology is in alignment with the HR policies? Are you doing cybersecurity awareness training, phishing testing, phishing training? Do you have an incident response plan? Right. So these are these sorts of business analysis sort of questions that do need to be asked, and they are part of that conversation that should be happening. But those things have absolutely nothing to do with running a piece of software. I would say that 99% of the time when I'm doing an assessment for a prospect or a new client, I have no purpose whatsoever for any sort of software to run on the endpoints because it's never going to actually yield me the data that I need in order to correct what I know to be the framework alignment known as the minimum security standards gaps that exist in that environment. 
So if you want to analyze whether or not uh, an Office 365 tenant is secure, you have to do that manually. If you want to analyze whether or not the PCs are in good shape, you have to do that manually. If you want to know that the network is designed properly, well, there's no piece of software that you can run for that. So we're also ultimately talking about a minimum level of technical adeptness on the part of the person doing that assessment. And for the vast majority of IT service providers, they do not send their most valuable, their most capable, their most technically proficient resource to do those assessments. So you also have to be aware of that. I mean, that's something really seriously to be uh, asking about is, okay, who is this person who's running the assessment? And if you're paying them for an assessment and all they're doing is bringing a piece of software and running it on your endpoints and then doing some sort of an external scan and producing a report that does nothing other than tell you about, oh, gee, you've got this one server in the environment that is old and unpatchable and you're like well yeah i know that's my server that i've got that old deprecated software on and we haven't migrated it yet you know that is just like not helping you that isn't in a an assessment that goes and scans the age of your hardware who even cares i mean who cares i think something that would be more relevant would be do you have a life cycle management plan do you have an inventory how are you budgeting for the replacement of that inventory? So, I mean, I just, I'm almost completely against any of these, like, um, come in and run a piece of software thing. And then the other problem I have with it is that, well, who says that you should even let them have that kind of access? And you may be violating the contract agreement that you have with your current IT service provider by by doing those types of things. Uh, there's a lot of limitations in that approach. Okay, so what do we do as a better approach with regards to not only assessments, but IT risk management? Because what in the heck are we actually doing here? Well, the fundamental game we're playing is we're trying to utilize, to facilitate and utilize technology for profitability. You know. People need to be able to come to work every day and their systems need to be available. The network needs to be available. They need to be able to trust that the things that they do on those systems are going to continue to have the integrity of the data and the confidentiality of the data. So if you don't have availability, integrity, and confidentiality, then those IT systems are not a business value add which is the entire point of having them. So as we look at issues, we have to look at them from the lens of what is the risk? And the risk is that if you don't have security baselines in place, then your organization may no longer be able to have confidentiality, integrity of the data, and availability of the systems. Okay. which fundamentally means your staff can't do their job and you don't have profitability at that point. So there are some people who think that all of this talk is just about selling fear. 
And I find that to be a not only a disrespectful commentary, but I also find it to be hideously uninformed. This isn't about fear. The individual who ignores the federal regulations, the IRS regulations, the Federal Trade Commission regulations, the last 20-plus years of cybersecurity standards is because they say, well, that's, you know, that's the fear. You have to do these things so you don't get ransomware. That is selling fear. No, we're not selling fear. This is simply a question of, do you want to stay in business or not? Because if you need to have cybersecurity insurance, which pretty much everybody does, because you're not going to have customers if you don't have cybersecurity insurance, so therefore you have got a business out event. So you're either insurable or you're not, and you're either serviceable or you're not. And I think that the world needs to wake up and smell the reality that IT service providers are not going to be the insurance policy for the deficiencies in baseline security in their clients' environments. And furthermore, it's an egregious discredit to the rest of the clients that an IT service provider has when they allow one client to not meet those standards of security. So let's talk about the way that you know, risk management should be done. It should be done as a combination of human evaluation from someone like an information security officer, as well as certain tool sets or evaluations of certain things. So I'm not saying that in a production environment, there's no validity to automated tools. There absolutely is. You have to be excruciatingly aware of the vast limitations in almost every tool that's out there. There is no getting around having a highly experienced, I'm talking 20 plus years of experience, information security officer who's able to look at that data and then prioritize it. So the data meaning they put their eyes on real stuff and evaluated your environment against the real things with their own eyes, plus they probably use some tools as well and combined all of those things together with what is uniquely appropriate for your environment. And a lot of that has to do with the business's risk. So these conversations really need to be having happening in a collaborative fashion. Now, we meet with a lot of our clients on a monthly basis. And it's an hour or less. And we maintain a running, ongoing priority list of the outstanding issues in an environment and the prioritization of the things that are worked on is a collaborative process between the executive management team and their information security officer, which is typically me. And that collaborative process is one in which my job is to inform them of risk, options, 
cost. And it's their job to say, yes, we can fund that now. No, we can't fund that now. We're willing to accept the risk. We need to mitigate that risk. This is when we're going to put it in the budget. Or, you know, wow, that is a business out. We are out of business event. Let's put that on the hot fire list. Okay. This has to be a collaborative process. If there is anyone whatsoever who thinks that they have skin in the game of criticizing the priorities of what is worked on and the funding, the, the expenditures and the funding of closing those gaps, those people have to be involved in that process or they have to be excluded. Because, I mean, what I mean by excluded is they, they have to be, have no influence in that decision-making process whatsoever. So if you've got people who are in a position where they sit at a table and have the ability and authority to object to expenditures associated with IT expenses, then those people need to be making the time to sit in these monthly meetings, to have these conversations about the outstanding issues, let's understand what the problems are, and what are some potential costs and options associated with do it now, do it later, do it this way, do it method A, method B, method C, and let's come up with what are we going to do next? Because sometimes, actually in a lot of cases, there are technical prerequisites to getting anything done. And the executive management team isn't going, they're not going to be the ones who come up with this understanding of like, well, we actually have to do the switches first before we can do this other thing. Like, well, they're not going to know that. It has to be a collaborative process. And yet at the same time, if IT exclusively is making these decisions and just unilaterally doing things, then the support from the executive management team isn't there. They don't understand the bills. They don't understand, well, why did we just spend $40,000 on switches? They don't get it. You know, because they weren't involved in the process. So this is, the world has changed. The era of an executive management team delegating IT decision-making exclusively to IT and then abdicating their responsibility to be continually involved. The days of that are gone. Risk exists at the C-suite level. Risk can only be accepted at the C-suite level, and risk needs to be funded for mitigation or elimination at the C-suite level. So I see this happen all the time. It is literally like a light switch on or off. The success model of organizations who are successfully closing the gaps in their environments where we have integrated IT risk management and they're doing a phenomenal job on all of their assessments. They're scoring high, they're insurable, they're profitable, their staff are productive, uh, they have incident response plans, their backups are fantastic. These are the organizations where the executive management team is engaged, minimally, monthly, but I mean engaged. 
Like, it's not just, well, you just have this once a month meeting. No, they're engaged in the project management system. They're engaged via the ticketing system. And then there are these monthly recap and decision discussion meetings that occur. So, I mean, I'm talking engaged. The off component of that light switch is where anyone who feels that they have the authority to object to the expenditures or to who feels that they have the authority to say, well, you should or shouldn't be spending money on these things. If those people do not have the engagement and the commitment to the engagement to take the time to understand, to be involved, and coming to the table with an open heart and an open mind, seeking to understand before railing on criticisms. Oh boy, it's never going to work. I have never seen that situation work. And this is not something that the IT people can solve. Your IT service provider cannot solve that problem. That's an executive management leadership space exclusively. Only you, as the executive management leader, can solve that problem. So I want to wrap up with some additional concepts on integrated IT risk management. So what most people do not have at this point in time is a centralized reporting and compliance platform. Most governance, risk management, and compliance platforms are $30,000 a year. And that's just for the software. That doesn't even include how much money you'd have to throw at it for doing things like the, all the manual data collation and then a human being running the GRC system. You know, it's just literally preposterous. When you realize who's running GRC systems now, it's primarily these highly regulated organizations that have had governance, risk management, and compliance regulatory framework requirements that are enforced by an external body. That's the key piece, because everybody's had it. It's a matter of, was it enforced by an external body? And they were probably doing a lot of that stuff on the inside of Excel spreadsheets. And so when they look at $30,000 a year, they are seeing that as a very viable price tag because it is helping them to reduce or eliminate spreadsheets and it is helping them reduce the number of dedicated personnel that they had to maintaining compliance. So, it you know, a GRC platform like that only makes sense if it's going to reduce or basically be a payroll replacement for people who were just throwing manpower at the problem previously. So for everybody else, like in the SMB market, for example, you still need to have GRC capabilities, but getting your hot little hands on that is nigh on impossible, as I said, because it's you know $30,000 a year to have a compliance platform. I mean, I haven't seen any that are less than 500 a month just for the platform. It doesn't even include the cost to run the thing or to put any data in it or to manage it, maintain it, you name it. I ain't never done that. And then the, there's a huge problem also where 
I still have yet to see a single GRC platform that is fully integrated and complete. And so my company has been, for the last year and a half here, we've been developing our own system. And, and I think that this is really what all, all IT service providers need to be doing, is to develop their own system whereby all of the automated things that are happening for the client are producing reports, the reports are getting published into this centralized repository, and then items need to be evaluated against those reports. And an aggregated scoring system to help to, to not only document the status of things, but also to produce tangible data so that these conversations with the executive management team can be very fruitful. Like, for example, if you're talking about a, a life cycle management policy, it sure would be a darn good thing to know the age of all of your systems and what would be a good policy for your environment. So first, you've got to have that data, right? First, you then have to have uh, an inventory. But the age of the machines is not the only data that you need. So that's just the tip of the iceberg on that topic. I will cover more on this in some future podcasts.